Hello there, friends, and welcome to Down the Yellow Brick Pod, your enchanted passport and sometimes twister over the rainbow and down a yellow brick rabbit hole as we pull back the curtain on American culture's most visited fairyland. We are your co-hosts, Tara and MK, your good trouble witches of the concrete jungle, here to preserve the rustic emeralds of yesteryear and reimagine an Oz for today and future generations. This season, our third, we return to Baum and the turn of the 20th century, finishing up our remaining 13 books in the original Oz series penned by first royal historian of Oz himself, L. Frank Baum, and published between 1904 and 1920 posthumously. And then we return to Oz, taking up residency in Disney's dark, disturbing, and kind of delayed fantasy sequel of the Kinder Trauma Age, scarring viewers since 1985, a near 50 years after the MGM release. Wheelers in shock therapy and screaming heads. Oh my, we are in for a wild ride. Buckle up, babies. Off the pod, feel free to visit our Insta at Down the Yellow Brick Pod for an accompanying Technicolor scrapbook, as well as our Patreon Pod Squad, where we continue the escapism and entertainment with bonus content from Tiny Oz Concerts, think coffee shop style covers and mashups of Aussie tunes, our Yellow Brick Vlogs, exclusive episodes, monthly parties with occasional special guest drop-ins and giveaways, and more behind-the-scenes shenanigans. As a community-funded podcast, our Patreons are truly our backbone, our people. So consider joining our pod squad today. It would make our day. Now, may the world of Oz continue to be a bewitching escape in bewildering years, nostalgic and nuanced, and a magical refuge where two gals in New York City can cross yellow brick roads with wonders like you. Hey, M, to Oz? To Oz! Colin Ez discovered the world of Oz through the 1939 MGM musical at the age of three. This led to a fascination with all things Oz and a lifelong passion for collecting and researching the world of Oz as created by L. Frank Baum. Colin is also a huge Disney fan. His love and research with the Walt Disney Company and the Oz Connections led to being a guest speaker on the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. In 2012, Colin was the first UK attendee of OzCon International, an annual convention for Oz fans based in California that has run since 1964. He has been chairing the convention since 2018. In addition, he is the creator and host of the Oz Connection YouTube channel. Colin lives in Stoke-on-Trent, Staffordshire, the United Kingdom, with husband Neil and three cats, Tip, Minnie, and Daisy. He is the director of Flying Sofa Media and is currently studying a degree in journalism and digital media. You can reach out to Colin directly at colin at flyingsofamedia.com. Oh my goodness. We're in return to Oz. I'm like freaking out with like giddy excitement. <laughs> Little Tara, who was traumatized by this film when she was just a wee one, Yay. is so pumped. <laughs> Let's get <laughs> into relive, trauma. Relive her kinder traumas. She's so pumped. But hello, good morning, 
good morning. Yes, it's good morning for all of us, but a very mm-hmm. most important good morning to our guest today, Colin, because Colin yes. is on the Pacific Coast and just went through a crazy travel day. Colin, we're so happy to have you here and your rich return to Oz expertise in the house. So thank you, Colin. And of course, we have MK is here as What's well, up? joining me on the East Coast. Okay, friends, <laughs> to get us into Return to Oz, as we're going to start with some pre-production today, let's presence our relationship to this film. Just presencing that, like, what did we know of it? Because we do have someone in this trio who is fairly new to this. <laughs> I bet you can guess who it is. Just what you knew of it, maybe even beforehand, just presencing your relationship to the film um, and how it's grown with you. And now for a little spiritual spice in that question. Um, This is inspired by something I heard David Shire, the film's amazing composer, say that the spiritual essence of this film is that Dorothy is seeking a missing part of herself. Something has been left behind and she's looking for that part of herself. Um, so I'm curious to what maybe missing piece of yourself you would say you're looking for right now. Um, that puzzle piece that you are either working on in yourself, whatever that means to you, just to get Oz into our own bodies because it's so much fun to do that. Okay, so two-parter. Mm. Why don't we start with the first part and then we'll circle on back to the two-parter. Colin, do you want to start us off? Because I think you have the coolest relationship with this film. We'll just say it. Okay. <laughs> I'm sure you guys have got some really, really unique takes, so I won't take all that on the chin. Um, my my relationship with Return to Oz started, so I was born 79, so I'm now 43. Don't tell yes. anybody. Woo! <laughs> tell um, everyone. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> and then I, and if I'm a bit screwy today, I've had like no sleep, but I will be full of energy for you guys. So oh, Wizard of Oz was was my Frozen for when I was a kid, so I'd watch it three, four times a day uh, to that. drive my mum absolutely nuts to the point that she recorded over it accidentally um, <gasps> to try and mom. stop this. <laughs> yeah, it's a. Uh, but then Return to Oz come out with massive hurrah in the UK, I think even more so than in the US, oh. with the right kind of marketing for the type of film that it was, whereas in the US it wasn't marketed yep. well. Correct. So I not. was hungry for this film, but my mom was like, no, you're too young, it looks really scary, your, your, your sister can go. So I had, oh. probably didn't see it till I was Rude. in 86, 87 when the VHS came out for rental, and I loved it. Absolutely, it took over my passion for Wizard of Oz. I actually this this is probably my even slightly more my favorite of the two. And I'm yet a really sensitive child and still can't do gore and things now because I'm quite empathic and it freaks me. But mm-hmm. Return to Oz for some reason does not even know for other people it's a nightmare in some way or another, which we'll get into. Um, <laughs> And it was also in the UK, and I don't know if you guys, but Return to Oz was really, really difficult to purchase for like 20 years. So it kind of mm. disappeared. You could only rent it from the video store. So I'd, I'd go down to Crew Bus Station. I'd pay 50p every weekend. Mm. I would rent Return to Oz, watch it three times, and then take it back again. And then I'd always ask the guy, go, how much can I buy that for? And he'd be like, no, because I'm making money off you like for uh, <laughs> two years at, what, this is maybe amazing. £12 a year. <laughs> Yeah. Oh this store in business. Yeah. Money off of you. This, 
crappy store that had like on one side kids movies and then adult movies on the other. I mean adult movies in inverted oh, oh commas on the other side. Those uh-huh. exist uh-huh. everywhere. Yes, those yeah. exist everywhere. Listen, everyone has a gimmick, okay? <laughs> you gotta keep <you> <laughs> yeah. business alive. Oh. oh, I get it. Yeah, it's like whatever makes money for them. But uh-huh. yeah, and that obsession, I think that obsession of not being able to own it drove that obsession um, oh, to yes. reading up the material, to finally getting a given. Actually, I went to another video store where I started doing the same thing, where they had a copy. And then this young, <laughs> very rather cute lad actually had one at home and was like just take mine <laughs> i don't want to see you again oh gosh, hero <laughs> you're just frequenting all the video stores within like a yeah. certain mile radius but i what as a kid i'd try and find return to Oz. i'd try and find the Sinar cut down movie series where they had four of them released but you could only get wonderful wizard and emerald city and you couldn't get land and you couldn't get osma and i would go around these video stores going have you got this video i must have driven them nuts because it was just this this desire to so i think that fed my overall passion of this fact that i couldn't get these things yeah it's like a treasure hunt Mm -hmm. wow and even though my mom would not um watch wizard of oz anymore she still goes but i will watch the tiktok one but she means return to Oz. The TikTok. So that oh, one. I wonder she, why. Yeah, I don't know. I think she likes. She likes watching. Like if she ever uses my Netflix, all of a sudden it's full of horror and it's full of ghost <laughs> stories and it's full wow. of murder, murder wow. mysteries. So I think maybe because it's dark, she just likes it yeah. more for whatever reason. But yeah, yeah, I'm worried my mom might be a secret psycho, and we don't really know <laughs> what she may have been up to. <laughs> <laughs> I'm obsessed that oh, like Judy mom. Garland no but like for yeah. Ball, yes, <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. excellent yeah. oh my gosh Colin this is amazing that's and then so cute you've been a champion too of like making sure people know the history of this film with Oz Connection mm-hmm. can you tell us a little bit about like what you feel responsible for and making sure people understand or maybe like I think there is like a little lost appreciation on this film that is starting mm-hmm. to get rekindled and I think mm-hmm. you do a good job of bringing appreciation just giving you that compliment to start to this film oh thank you mm-hmm. so I see so as being the chair of OzCon since 2018 I see my role as bringing some of the past passions from people in, but looking at everything new. So I, I believe in multi-Oz verses. So I'm not one of these like, it will only be bomb and it won't be any anything Damn. else. Mm. I will accept and look at everything. Some things are great, some things are not great. But Return to Oz for me is making people re- re-look at it and reevaluate it in the world of Harry Potter, in the world of um, never-ending story, because it's all in that kind of dark fantasy world. It was maybe a little bit ahead of its time, and, and maybe it should never have been made in the way it had been, which we'll get into, but it certainly yeah. should have had maybe a Wizard of Oz in this style first. That's probably its biggest error. And it's make people re-look it and re-evaluate, but make people learn about the books from it understanding the combination of the books, understanding the design of the characters, which are the design of the characters in these movies are the Neil designs. And that really spoke to me and drove that set next passion of, I must have the Oz books and all of the Neil Oz books and nothing else. (laughs) I mean, you just stirred up a memory for me and what you just Mm -hmm. shared 
I remember on the back of my VHS tape of Return to Oz mm-hmm. that I owned. I'm so sorry that I owned a copy that I was pretty <gasps> get easy out. to get. I think it was easy to have. Um, I can't remember there being a hunt for it. Um, but it said like a sequel to the MGM movie. It said that on the back, mm-hmm. which is like, why did they do that? I'm so lost. Like, yeah. I do think the American marketing team was just like, I don't know. <laughs> like, let's, just, <laughs> let's just get eyes on this. Like, but it's yeah. just like it's so clearly yeah. not that. Well, you look, you look as well. But even the new releases, they become this weird pastiche of it. Looks like a happy jolly thing with Dorothy on the front, the yellow uh-huh. brick road, and and and, and it 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 yeah, yeah. It's all it's it's designed to reel people in in the wrong way completely. But I think Merch was a bit confused on it as well because he wanted to make a sequel to the books, but. Well, then why call it a sequel to MGM? So he, he kind of keep, but I think Disney were scared and wanted to make sure that people watch this. But that meant that if you were expecting a jolly, happy, you know, musical, you got absolutely terrified right. of the Gnome King trying to get. eat you and your children. <laughs> right, right. Okay, amazing. Thank you so oh much, God, for starting us off. All right, MK, you're kind of on the other end of the spectrum of this. I am on the exact opposite end, and you're making me think. So initially I was thinking I had never seen this growing up because I hated watching anything scary. Like, I had nightmares from this Disney film in the 90s that is literally animated dinosaurs. I think it's called Dinosaurs because I was so Mm -hmm. traumatized by Jurassic Park because my older brother would always make me watch Jurassic Park. And I had to sleep on my parents' floor when I was like nine years old, 10 years old, too old to be doing that. So I Mm -hmm. could not watch anything scary. But I'm remembering now my best friend Kelly and I growing up would always watch Neverending Story. And I feel like Mm -hmm. that has similar, like a similar tone. It doesn't have to be horror, but Mm -hmm. I just, I liked more, I liked brighter colors. I liked happy-go-lucky musicals. I would watch Grease every day. Like that was more my vibe, you know, (laughs) lighter, fair. But I loved Neverending Story, so I'm actually surprised that I never did see Return to Oz. I had heard about it from many a person because they knew I loved Oz, being like, "Hey, have you seen the Disney version of Oz?" Do you know? Do you know that the composer David Shire is married to Frenchie Didi Khan? Oh Greece? my god! Did you know that? Just had to put that in. I love that. Just it always comes connection. back to Greece. It's all there's always a Greece <laughs> connection. I love that. I mean, the, also this music, side note, fantastic. Obsessed. Yeah, I think the music um, is a star of this piece. It's a star. It's a star. So yeah, people had always talked to me about this Return to Oz situation, and I was very confused. Is it a sequel? Mm-hmm. Is it its own property? I will say I did not want to watch it growing up. Mm-hmm. I was like, absolutely not. I No, that's not for me. I'm not going to like it. Um kind of had my own hesitations about it. And then during the pandemic, <laughs> Miss Tara Tag, whom I was living with at the time, was like, we have to, we have oh, to yeah. watch Return to Oz. And so we had a double header. We started with, I believe we started with Return to Oz. Yes, and then I think there. second we watched Hook, which I had also never seen. <laughs> Side note about me, I don't, I don't watch a lot of movies. <laughs> I, I fall asleep. Whether it's the best movie in the world or the worst, like I think I'm a little bit narcoleptic. Narcoleptic? Is that the right word? I think yeah, yeah, yeah. I, think so, yeah. I was I think like, so. wait, klep- 
kleptomaniac or nar narcoleptic? Okay, yes. I think, I think kleptomaniac's is like a thief. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, which one is this? Um. So that is why I've I've kind of been like out of touch with films. I just fall asleep. But I will say, when we watched Return to Oz, I I mm. loved it. I really, really, really enjoyed it. I was entranced. And now on this, this is only my second rewatch, I will say. So wow. I have a lot to learn. I'm loving it even more, especially now having read the books, yeah. like the original 14 <laughs> series. I'm just finding so much more to love about it. And I can totally see how a kid watching this growing up would become entranced, especially like... <laughs> Loving the 1939 film, but kind of knowing maybe that that was like a long time ago. I feel like mm -hmm. Return to Oz, you can, it, be, it feels, it probably felt more contemporary for you, Colin, like in the 80s, you know. So I'm, I'm really excited to, to get into it. Oh, yes, that's great. Um, yes, just just to preface with, think about for me and Tara, when it came out in the 80s, Wizard of Oz was barely 40 odd years old so it, and there yeah, wasn't yeah. many movies out there so it didn't feel yeah. as old as it feels now and a little nice little story is my niece got into the Oz books a little bit, not like my level and when she watched it she just come over to me and she was about maybe 30 and so I was like, I really enjoyed it but why did they have to change all of the actors? <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I love that. I just like like and this i guess we'll get into my whole relationship i completely accepted it as a sequel mm -hmm. as a little girl completely <laughs> accepted it i think because my mother watched so many soap operas where those oh my god those yeah. bitches be off and get recast every single second that i just accept it recast here we go like That's i did not i did i know i i sense the tone change because and i would mm -hmm. always pick up on little changes like when we were watching mm -hmm. return to jafar the sequel to aladdin i was like mom that's not robin williams voice like, <laughs> no really absolutely like, not so like i would pick up on it but it's not that i would be like mad about that i would accept it mm -hmm. you know what i mean just kind of roll with it wow. so i totally nice. accepted this film as a sequel yeah colin so basically judy garland as dorothy uh, comes to says you were there you were there gets in the shower and comes out as feruza bulk after her memory's yeah. been wiped that's basically that what is, you're saying yeah, <laughs> wow. and was dh that is yeah. so funny i love that i love it i can't remember the first time i watched this movie i think my nana bought it for me we had it on vhs i also had the novel version that was created mm. to go alongside mm. of it and I think this is it, friends, because she, Dorothy Feruza, whose performance is quite wonderful in this film, mm -hmm. is never really that scared. I trust it that I didn't need to be too scared going into it. Aww. But I also was like, this is a disturbing film. <laughs> like, I used to be, I think I used to fast forward the heads a couple of times, Aww. you know, like that Baby part. Tara. Like, I think. I went through that. There's a couple movies that I had fast forward scenes. Princess Bride, there was a fast forward section for me oh. too. So like oh, yeah. Return to Oz, I had a fast forward section, of course. But I think that was the only one. Like everything else I can maintain. Honestly, I think the electric shock therapy just went over my head. Mm -hmm. um, I used to just die when she would comb Jack Pumpkinhead's hair. Like when she had that little <laughs> pumpkin, that little baby pumpkin in the asylum. And she, I was like, that is weird. And I love it. <laughs> like, I love that. But I totally was into it. And I also think I was a little confused aesthetically too. So we also watched a lot of Little House on the Prairie that used to be on mm -hmm. TBS in the mornings. 
And that would be sometimes on as I was getting ready for school. I used to, I think, think this was like Little House too, sometimes. The opening looks like Little House on the Prairie. And Mm -hmm. she, Feruza, is more Laura Ingalls Wilder vibes than she is mm-hmm. any of the like Judy Garland vibes. Could you know see what that. I mean? Yeah. So I totally had that confusion as well. And then, you know, when I was a teen and then saw Piper Laurie as Carrie's mother, I was like, well, oh. that woman is even more frightening. Um, <laughs> she's wild. like a little this bit woman. of a stone cold Aunt M. Like she's very much like oh, yeah. creepy. And I'm sure we'll talk about the deleted scene mm-hmm. in our first um uh, scene breakdown that got cut with um, Aunt M that is like a little mm-hmm. creepy. Um, oh, no. Aunt M is just like, yeah, like I, like I remember being that, having that realization of like Carrie as a teen being like, oh my gosh, that woman plays Aunt M. But yeah, so my relationship with this film was that, oh my God, it's so wild. But I never said terrible. I always said mm-hmm. like very intriguing, like a very intriguing film. It totally was my 80s movie Mm -hmm. as I didn't really grow up with dark crystal or Mm -hmm. um labyrinth like I missed those this was Mm -hmm. my like 80s vehicle that I would consistently replay over and over Mm -hmm. again and just accept it like accepted it I love that yeah I love that and about accepting it and, and, and for me dark crystal freaked me out Return to Oz, for whatever reason, I never skipped over any scenes, but Dark Crystal freaked me out. There's weird, squealy, bird, freaky things in it that just <laughs> didn't vibe well with me. But um, even though I knew it was different to MGM, because, you know, Tin Man looks different, Scarecrow, they uh-huh. all look different. I totally accepted it, but in my head I knew it was different, but it was still, as a kid, your imagination's wild, so you can often accept these things easier. Uh, I think that's probably yeah. part of the factor to play well, in that. You nailed it by saying, like, I could accept, like, also multiverses. Like, yeah, I could accept I it. It's its own different thing. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, now getting into that missing part of yourself that you maybe need to return somewhere to go take mm. a look at. So maybe this can be looked at as, like, where would you like to return to maybe find a missing part of yourself right now? And then I'll admit hmm. you into a psychiatric ward after you share this. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, With electroshock therapy. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just lick this socket over here. <laughs> it's tricky. I mean, it's such a great question. And I, I feel like you're nailing it in terms of like, I really feel for Dorothy in this first scene because she's probably really lonely and sad. And the fact that she's like, no, my friends Heart need help. Room. They need me. It's really mm-hmm. sad just the opening i know i'm skipping ahead but just her on her bed just like looking out the window like i've definitely been there um i was thinking about this the other day relating it to like the pandemic and so much change that has happened in all of our lives i feel like one of the things that feels really different about life now for me is community um mm-hmm. I feel like I love living I love living in New York like I love it so much but it has changed a lot um and I'm Mm -hmm. I think I'm kind of grieving that a little bit I feel like you know I know going in person to things it does require a lot of work and I know like going in person to audition for things is I would grumble and I would complain about it but I actually miss it because I would run into friends and I would see people on the street or like, oh, let's go grab a coffee. I feel like I would just run into people more spontaneously. And I felt maybe Uh, more so like I'm a part of this community. Um, And I I think I've 
I think I feel really differently about like my theater community, um, even my work community. I'm only in person one day out of the week. Um, I feel differently about just like friend community. I feel like that's changed and we're all still trying to like figure out what that is and people have moved away. Um, and I, I don't mean to make it sound like super like it's not all bad. Um, but I think I was just thinking the other the other day how that's something I want to investigate because there are opportunities like at my workplace. We're really trying to get more in-person events back. Um, so it's just different. It just requires a little bit of extra work right now. Um, so I think that's a part of my quote unquote old life <laughs> that maybe I don't want to get back per se, but I want to figure out how it exists in my life no. now. Community. I love that. Um, that's beautiful. And I concur a lot with what you were sharing. Yeah, that was great. MK, uh, I think there's been a lot of change as well right now with COVID, which impacts greatly on your relationship probably with New York and missing that previous relationship. So for me, mine's, all of ours is personal, but mine is confidence. So people assume that because I um I'm an extroverted introvert, so people assume I'm an extrovert. But actually, I struggle with anxiety um, quite regularly. Uh, but that anxiety no longer drives me in terms of stopping me from doing things. It's now my channel to go, if I'm not comfortable, go with it and bring up that side of Colin and put yourself out there. And I never had that as a kid, and I never had it as a teenager. It came to me later on in life. And if I would knew that then... I could have been doing some of these things like coming to America and probably moved here when I was like 19, 20, do you know what I mean? That's a hundred percent. If I'd known back then what I know now, I would have put myself out there. I would have been doing the Oscar circuits. I would have been in California and I don't think I would have returned to be perfectly honest. And I think mm. that if that's something you're looking for. It's that finding that confidence in yourself, even when you do, and there's still days I don't have it and I have to find it and go, do you know what? How do I unlock that? And sometimes it takes a bit of acting. Um, yes. And it's, Take it to make it, it, baby. It, yeah. And it's just, okay. Just, and sometimes it's just knowing, you know who you are as a person. So go with that. And if you don't like something, remove yourself from that situation. And if you want something, you've got to put yourself out there, even if you don't feel like you've got the confidence to do it, which I know you guys, girls will get with acting 100%. And it's the same with most other things in life that you want to get. Put yourself out there. Take a risk. If you fall flat on your face, dust yourself down and do it again or change it or go, was that really for me? But don't just go, I'm not going to do it because it's too scary and I don't have the confidence to do it. Fight mm. that instinct 100%. You will grow as a person that much more. And I wish that would be my thing I would be looking for 100%. Oh, Colin, that is beautiful. And it just makes me think like how important I feel like the daily work like how important this is, is like knowing who we are, but also mm -hmm. having space for not knowing at all who we are as well. Mm -hmm. It's like an and. Because like that's mm -hmm. the beauty of life. We never really know anything. Yeah. <laughs> like things are always <laughs> changing. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that just gave me like a permission slip, like what you said, to just trust what I know today and like mm -hmm. also like live in the questions of like what I don't know, which is just I always love that. That like really grounds me. So thank you for sharing. That was beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. 
Okay. To conclude us, what I feel like I need to return to actually is my actual home of Middlesex, New Jersey. Um, I've been putting off a trip to go to my parents, not because of much more than just scheduling chaos at the moment, um, to go help them clean up the home, make it a little bit easier for them to exist in, get rid of things. Um, Just, yeah, like really take a second to go through everything that has collected in this household, which is years upon years upon years upon years upon years, like return to Oz to now (laughs) timeline (laughs) because they've had that house since like the early eighties, just stacked Mm -hmm. of like memories being held in objects. And it's, I think it's very overwhelming when I think about it because I know that's going to take a lot of work and it's going to come with a lot of emotional baggage. And Mm -hmm. each of us, my mom, my dad, and me, I'm an only child. We all have our own relationship to things. I think I'm in this place right now where I'm like, get rid of it, more space, more blank canvas. And Mm -hmm. I might be up against, no, I can't, you know? So it's going to bring up a lot. But I know that this weighs on me that my parents Mm -hmm. need help here, you know? And I want to help them. Um, So there's like a part of me that just feels like my daughter identity needs to Mm -hmm. be returned to, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And like, what does it mean to be a good daughter as you start aging? Because it it really is wild that you reverse, like they take care of you. Like that's Mm -hmm. the hope, right? They take care of you and bring you into this world. You're left out. And then they start to go back to like what, almost like where babies are at, where they need help and Mm -hmm. they need to rely on someone. So it's just like, whoa, no one talks about this, right? Like I'm like, whoa, Mm -hmm. whoa, No one trains us. (laughs) Right. Like, and how to, like, it's almost like we reverse roles in a way, but don't at the same Mm -hmm. time. Um, And I, why isn't every family in therapy? Mm -hmm. I don't know. But anyway, that's a whole other thing. (laughs) (laughs) But anyways, so that's kind of the part that I, I feel and sense of duty in a way, like a responsibility mm. to return to. I wonder, listening to that, um, Tara, is is it because you're not really fully ready to let go and grow up? Just a little bit of you somewhere oh, that you're going to do that? I think that's an interesting question. I think I'm like worried about how much I'm going to have to like hold in this and if I'm capable. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think mm-hmm. I might have to feel a little bit more parenty to them. <laughs> in this um and it's not and it's also all their things that they put money into so i have like i have to back off at the end of the day too so i think i'm just i'm more afraid of like our roles that we're going to take on in this and also how i resort back to the angsty teenager instantly like it's (laughs) insane how i become like no like i get into that like you know slam the door 14 year old status like which is i don't want to go there i'd like to stay in my 30 something self and own who i am you know dynamics and families are so hard especially as you grow and as you age Mm -hmm. and then you know Mm -hmm. not to put words in your mouth but it sounds like you're like i have these ideas about maybe what would be best in this situation but I know, know I felt that with my parents of like, but you're also my parent. I don't want to overstep mm-hmm. my boundaries. So it's like you're warring against yourself and then you're maybe dealing with what Colin was mentioning, your own emotions. You're yeah trying to be aware of their emotions and what can be an emotional situation. So it's such a puzzle piece, but you're totally capable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And like you said, though, you're not when it's family, 
all your toleration sometimes goes out the window to be able to have a filter because it's family. And that's probably one of the things that's the worst. I, I get that. But I have a similar situation now with my, with my mom as she's in her seventies where the relationship dynamics changing and I'm almost having to become the leader a little bit, um, yes, which is strange correct. when you've been so used to being the son. Yeah, yeah. You're so correct. All right, my friends, I think it's great. time to journey oh. on back in time to get this pre-production going. I will see you in 1980, friends. Guys, I can't stop singing the on the rainbow bump that has been in my head so em and i just recorded it recently our um honorable mention episode of adaptations that occurred in the sequel books of Oz. so we definitely took a pit stop with disney's the rainbow road to oz which (laughs) is also we gotta mention it today because Mm -hmm. disney has such a history with wizard of oz as a whole property since the 1930s disney had the oz books in their main office like in their library as like we must do something with these books big part of like walt's inspiration point and of course we discussed this on our um, adaptation episode which is available over on our patreon a little bit about the back and forth um that disney would have um and would never quite have a project though that would take off in terms of film medium rainbow road Mm -hmm. eventually got scrapped after having this like kind of a pitch Mm meeting-esque episode that happened um with the mouseketeers but that would just go away um especially i didn't even think about this rainbow road would have been competing with the national broadcasting that happened annually with the wizard of oz and like Mm -hmm. walt was not prepared to do that which is crazy Mm because that was happening since 1956 relatively a new family tradition not ready to compete so all the oz project just kind of get would get like started but stopped shelved right until the green Mm -hmm. light that would happen in 1980 so let's go to that we have at that time the vice president of the creative development for motion pictures and television at walt disney we have Tom Wilhite, who is the partner to Willard Carroll, who is one of the top Oz memorabilia collectors in the whole entire world. And also the writer and the producer of the TV show, The Oz Kids. How cool. Yes, Oz Kids. <laughs> yeah. Um, they, he has an incredible collection. And Tom talked to Walter Murch, who is one of the most respected film editors and sound designers. He has a conversation with him and pretty much asks him because Walter wants to direct now. He wants to make that transition, which I've heard this a lot from people in the business, whether it be um, the Broadway industry or the film industry. There's a lot of folks who find themselves maybe in stage management management positions or in editing positions who really want to direct, but it's really hard to get your first break. And Walter Murch is asked mm-hmm. by Tom Wilhite, what would he want to do? And that's where all of this begins because Walter Murch has a history with the Oz books, lots of fond memories. I believe his mother read the whole entire series to him when he was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah. and then this mm-hmm. just really hit something in Tom Wilhite's brain because a, his husband's a huge collector, but 
also like the rights were about to expire um, that Disney mm-hmm. had of all the other Oz books, all the sequel books um, in 1985. Mm-hmm. So it felt like almost kismet of like, oh, we have those rights. <laughs> you want to do this? Mm-hmm. Okay. So this got some things um, stirring, which is really, really cool. So it, from listening to Walter Murch's interviews, he never thought about directing. And it was because Tom Wilhite had deli- specifically asked him about a project. If he were to direct, what would it be? And he said it would have to be mm. a sequel to The Wizard of Oz. So it was a sequel from the beginning to The Wizard of Oz, but a, a sequel to the books, not of the film. Um, and yeah, because they had the rights to the 12 books and because of that relationship, Tom Wilhite was like, yeah, uh, we want to do this. We want to move forward. So it was an instant, an instant reaction, an instant come on board. Let's get going. It feels like mm-hmm. a very goosebumpy conversation where they're like, whoa, things are just like aligning mm-hmm. perfectly. Yeah. I mean, I was even reading a yeah. little bit more about Willard Carroll. I know I have his book that's all about collecting Oz, um, which mm-hmm. is amazing. But I love he says something about being a collector that made me laugh that I just wanted to share. Um he was talking about his collecting with Wizard of Oz. It all started with the Procter and Gamble puppets. And then it just like built mm-hmm. and built and built. It got mm-hmm. more and more out of control and more and more out of control. And he <laughs> said, I stopped collecting when I went to college because I thought it might be time to grow up. But when I started working professionally, I realized I wasn't particularly interested in stocks and bonds. So I invested in the things I loved. I began to recognize at that point that collecting isn't a choice. Either you're born a collector or not. And I would love to pose this to Tori from the Oz vlog. Is that true, Tori? Mm -hmm. Tell us more. But (laughs) I love this, that he just felt like this is his investment. I just thought that was an interesting way to look at it. Um, And he said, uh, Tom said of Willard that like, he's not, you know, Tom was not the collector of the two of them, but they did both meet working at Disney. And then they would later start, start, they would later start Hyperion pictures together. Um, Tom would say, while I don't have Willard's collector's chromosome, I understand the importance of Oz to him for nostalgic, historic, and aesthetic reasons. And I certainly get the significance of Oz to our popular culture. It's America's first indigenous fairy tale, which that is, I think they saw the responsibility here, but it is really fun to read about Will- Willard Carroll's love from Oz starting as a kid. Always just fun to find that trail happen. Okay. Mm, anything absolutely. more on this, this first beginning? Go ahead. Em. Yeah. I was reading this uh, article from the Herald journal in 1985 and I just liked how it started the um, author. Let me get their name. Oh, it's Algene Harmetz. Algene. Algene. Welcome back. Baby. Algene is here. Welcome back. Algene wrote this article. (laughs) That's wild. She mentions Feruza, who we haven't gotten into yet, who plays Dorothy. Uh, The difference between Feruza and Walter Murch and the rest of the cast and crew is that both the nine-year-old child and the 41-year-old director really seem to believe in the existence of Oz. And she goes on to describe Mm -hmm. Walter Murch as being this like very quiet man. He has a very droopy mustache, steel-rimmed glasses. He doesn't really seem like he fits in this world of fantasy. Like, she mentions he could probably easily play Uncle Henry. He has a very like <laughs> rural look. Um, and she also says he he lived on a farm called Blackberry Farm in a farmhouse built in 1875 <gasps> in a small town that was like inaccessible from Los Angeles. He kept bees and he meticulously prepared his own honey. So I just thought that was like such an interesting description because later on in the um, article, wow. uh, 
Algene mentions what Colin was saying, like his and and Uter, his mom, like would kind of pass on her love of fantasy and Oz and what she mm. interpreted as being from Canada. I think her dad was from Canada, but mm-hmm. she herself did not grow up in Canada. And she kind of like conflated right, yeah. Oz with visions of Canada that she never saw, which was kind of a sweet detail. Mm. And she passed on that love of wonder to her son. Um, so then when this meeting happens later on with Tom, Tom is it's kind of like a green light, I think, because while not very demonstrative in his emotions or like fantasy elements. So the fact that he looked like he really came alive made Tom be like, we got to let him do this. That is so cool. Thank you for presencing that history. Em. I love it. Go ahead, Colin. So just on what you touched upon there, MK. Uh, so Walter did say that the reason for choosing Feruza was that out of all the other actresses was that she wouldn't necessarily just take direction. She would add on her imagination. And there was this connection that he had with her. So that she would come up with three or four things to really make you believe that she was Dorothy and in, and in this world. And he did reference that he felt that his mom was a Dorothy in Sri Lanka away from Oz. Mm-hmm. And that's where his love for the Oz <laughs> series came and fired his imagination. So there's, a, I think there's a visceral emotional child connection there from their different ages, which I think is probably how this all came together. Oh my gosh. I love oh, this. I well, love let's that. just presence a little bit more about Walter Murch while we're here with him, like what he was mm-hmm. up to to this point, which is funny what you said, Colin, because I read that he wanted to direct, wanted to direct. And then it was like, Oh, presented to him. So interesting that there's some like mm-hmm. conflicting, I guess, you know, narratives going on there on like, Walter Murch. It's on, yeah, it's on, there's a great interview on SoundCloud with Walter Murch um, just called Oz mm. where he tells you that. I would so, trust uh, it coming from him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I would trust I'd that listen, sword. Yeah. <laughs> well, what's also um, interesting is he would not direct again after this. This would be the only picture he would helm, correct? Yes, that's yeah. right. Okay. Okay. So just a little bit more about where he was before this. I love that we got a little bit about his home life. He has, I mean, I feel like he... By the time he was a high school student, I was like, oh, he's he's done more than I have ever done in my life. Um, okay. Um, so while he was attending a private school in Manhattan, he would work in the summers as a music librarian and a production assistant at Riverside Church. So he grew wow. up, this is when he was in Manhattan, um, with their newly founded, the church's newly founded radio station, WRVR, which is now WLTW. Um, so he got into the world of radio first, which I think radio and Oz also just have like a lot of cool connections Mm -hmm. there. Yeah. Um, Yeah. He was a part of like Bob Dylan's first radio performance, like a part of that production, which is wild. But then he would attend John. I mean, just a little side note. Then he would attend John Hopkins university after that studying romance languages and the history of art in Italy and in France, which is just wild. When he went into his graduate work, that is where he would meet some of his massive, like, lifetime friends and collaborators, such as George Lucas, <laughs> would be among <laughs> his some of his best friends and all of these folks that he met from Hal Bearwood, Robert Dava, Willard mm-hmm. Hook, Don, I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, Hook, Don Glut, and John mm-hmm. Milius, they would all become successful filmmakers. Um, and not long after being in film school, in his graduate studies um, in 1969, Merch and Lucas and others joined Francis Ford Coppola. This is huge. And correct mm-hmm. me if I'm saying this wrong. I think it's Zoetrope. 
American Zoetrope. I think That's so. um, Francis Ford Coppola's film production company, American Zoetrope, um, which is, I think, still in existence today. So he would start as an editor mm-hmm. and mixing sound. So, you know, um, shout out to my father. He worked on The Godfather and The Godfather 2, which is so cool. I thought of you. American Graffiti, um, George Woo! Lucas's THX 1138. I mean, he'd also just like win his first Academy Award in 1979 for Apocalypse Now. So he would also collect mm-hmm. a wow. few more Academy Awards. He was hot property at the time, like, yeah. Yes, like he was in a really hot phase. Wow. Like he was the go-to mixer of sound for films, which is awesome to know about him. So just a little bit more about his career and like the people he was surrounded by. I mean, George Lucas and him were tight, which mm-hmm. I know that's going to come up in a little bit because George Lucas is going to be um, – very necessary for keeping Walter Murch on this project mm-hmm. when we have the whole Disney executive shakeup that's about to happen in the process of this film yeah. being made. But also just to presence, and I found this New York Times article from 1981 that announced like Oz project coming. And it also mm-hmm. gives us a little um, context for where Disney was at. Like it was not in a good place mm-hmm. um, in terms no. of like audience. They didn't know how to get to their audience Disney was almost sold, which is like, oh, mm-hmm. crazy. wow, like crazy in the early 80s. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine if Disney was bought by some other corporation? Like it is nowhere near. I mean, it is one of the it buys you now, like it buys everybody up now. So it's just wild that it was mm-hmm. in this place in the earlier 80s. So in this article, it mentions in the last few years, the Disney feature film division has fallen on hard times. The basic problem is that Disney's core six to 13 year old audience has become too sophisticated for Disney movies. (laughs) And teenagers have completely turned their backs on the studio. Without much success, the studio recently tried slightly spicy PG rated parental guidance suggested nonsense, (laughs) midnight madness, and unsophisticated outer space nonsense, the black hole, in an effort to retain its core audience and entice the teenagers back. The studio also went into co-production with Paramount on two high-budget movies, Popeye and Dragon Slayer. Still searching for new ways of recapturing its core audience, Disney appears to be contemplating more psychologically sophisticated material. This is where Return to Oz makes sense. Ray Bradbury's Dark Tale of Witchery, Something Wicked This Way Comes, will be produced for the studio by Kirk Douglas. It will probably be directed, I love this, it will probably be directed by Carol Baller, director of The Black Stallion, who's finishing Disney's film version of Farley Mowat's Never Cry Wolf about a zoologist who comes to terms with himself in the Arctic. So lots of like epic adventure films are starting to kind of happen mm-hmm. and like very interesting twists on them. But just cool to like, oh, wow, like Disney's not at a good place. And this article really captures like their kind of loss of their audience and not knowing how to get to them, I believe Touchstone, which was Disney's like add-on, like add-on company that would be like more for adults, is around this time as well. Just kind of throwing spaghetti on the wall. Just to give some context, really, I think for, for the listeners, which is Walt died in 1966. By '81, right. his son-in-law was the CEO, and Disney were having a lot of drama. They didn't, they didn't know what their soul was since they lost Walt, and the the, they were almost going to shut down the animation department at this point in time as well. What? So there's only the, really this, this vacuum that you would yes. ever would have got returned to Oz because there's no way Walt would have made return to Oz in this way. And there's no way that um, 
not Iger, um, Eisner coming in would ever have made return to us and it off. So in some ways, it's great that you had this because we would never have got it in, in any other universe if right. it wasn't for this, right, at that, that point in time with the, the Disney company at all because they weren't doing well and there were a lot of internal squabbles and a lot of change in management that came over at that period of time. Let's talk about the change in management because this would drastically affect um, Return to Oz, which still remain still remained greenlit when Tom Wilhite mm-hmm. was let go. Yeah. Is that correct? Was he let go? Yeah, he was let go. Okay. They they basically they brought in Eyes and they started moving people out as, as as these changes do. Yeah. Okay. So Tom would leave, but Return to Oz would stay, and they'd actually be given more of a budget, which then mm-hmm. at later on costs would go out of control mm-hmm. and they'd have to be pulling back but it was still positive while the change was happening it was still positive for return to us but what were the major changes colin you probably can speak to this more and em, jump in whenever yeah so richard Berger come in took over from tom wilhite and the first thing he did was look at the budget and go this is way over budget yeah. if you want this <laughs> you want this movie to be produced you need to go away so they were Initially, the biggest change was the filming locations. So they were going to be in the Sahara Desert for the desert. They were going right. to be in Kansas for the Kansas sequences. Right. They were going to be at, um, I can't remember the name, I think Hadrian's um, Palace for sections of the Gnome King for the outside sequences of the Emerald City. And he was like, no, we can't produce it at this cost. You need to go to England <laughs> because it was the cheap place to be. You got a 25% return on your tax if you used UK um, production companies and actors and all that kind of oh. stuff. It's like, if you can make it work over there, then I might greenlit it to continue. If not, this film is done with. Um, so Merch and his crew wow. decided that they would go over to the UK. Um, they hadn't mm-hmm. still quite cancelled um, Kansas just yet at that point, but also... Mert said his biggest thing they had to do was reduce his screenplay down from 120 to about 104 um, pages. And that the biggest thing that he stripped from the story was the army of Oz. And I'm not talking about TikTok. Ah! The actual armies from, you know, the ones in Ozma of Oz where they're like, yeah. you know, hey, I'm not doing any work. You go and do that for me. And I'm going to give myself all these awards. Yeah. Ambi, Ambi. Yeah. <laughs> And I think it would have it would have given some comic relief, probably from the darkness which is of the film. Missing, yeah, which is yeah. missing. Correct. We need. Yeah, that. and they would they would have all been very very cowardly. I don't know what they would have done with them. I can only imagine that perhaps they would have had to have left them at Mombi's palace because where are you going to put all these officers in the gump? Um, but that was he said was the biggest thing that was taken out of the story. But he could tell the same story without them there, so it didn't really cut the story. He wanted to tell it was more the production and the final final thing he said was that he was told just before they really pushed the button to say go and record was you need to find a new location for kansas if you don't find one in england i'm not making this move you're not making this movie and he had a day to find a location the england is not flat england is very rolly and anywhere that is flat has been built on (laughs) and he ended up ringing him at the end of the day at 10 p.m i was like i've got the location put the phone down i was like Shit, I haven't got the location. We better find one. So it was based oh upon God. a lie that it went ahead because that was in the interview I was listening he to. Needed it. Uh, yeah, he, he needed it. But that, that's kind of the biggest things was, yeah, the, the army being taken away and the location changes were 
So it, it, anyone doesn't know, this is all filmed in England, apart from the Gnome King claymation sequences were up in um, Northwest America. Uh, everything else is in England. Mm. Yes. And what was the name of the studios mm. they filmed at? Can you remind me? It is Elstree Studios, which is a very famous, very old studio. And it's got a massive, massive water tank, which is where your sequences outside are when Dorothy runs away. That's, it looks like it's filmed on location. Everything from when she runs out the back of the house down to the bank and the water, it's all set. You could watch some of the filming of that online now. Mm. They have some like cool behind the scenes mm-hmm. shots of that. And it is so cool to mm-hmm. see that that set that looks like you're really outdoors caught in a really awful storm be completely yeah. outdoors. Nuts. So yeah, interesting. It's fabulous. And when did Walter Murch lose his job? Well, was it while they were filming or before? It was while they were filming. And okay. I think he said that they were about six weeks into the schedule and That's they were falling really, really behind um, him and his ADs. So you assistant directors and they were fired essentially five to six weeks in without any replacements they were just like you know you're way behind on this you're way over budget you're both fired and it was left in production hell for like a week Um, and they had no no game plan for who to replace them with either yeah and and what was said that they, they still carried on filming little sequences to keep the production going whilst all this was going on who did that? Walter, Walter carried on filming. So even though they were fired, him and the AD <laughs> officially fired, they continued filming, say, B-roll sequences and things like that to keep it going during this. He was he was fired for one week, essentially. He was, and he said, he was Richard Thorpe. Mm-hmm. He, yeah, he was. Mm-hmm. He was but, but with Richard Thorpe, they had other directors to draw upon. They yes. didn't have anyone for, from this. I right. think they were getting ready to can the film, to be honest. I think yeah. they were just going to let right. it go. Yeah. There's this article from 1984, The Sun, mm-hmm. um, where mm-hmm. they kind of talk about this moment. Did you say the name Berger, Colin? Yeah, Richard Berger, B-E-R-G-E-R. I, I think he took over as the production manager uh, from Tom Wilhite. Okay. I may have the role, okay. but I think that's the role he took on. Okay, okay. Okay, he has a, uh, mm-hmm. a quote in this article. He had like a date book from March 28, mm-hmm. 1984 that read... Uh, from Berger. I arrived at the studio at 4.30 um, and everyone was concerned about Walter. He had he was looking really pale. I told Walter that I needed to make a change for his own good and for the sake of the movie. I felt the overpowering him and he was getting sick. He never even argued or asked for another chance or for a few more days. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's a quote from Walter. He says, had I fought back and jumped up and down screaming, they might have said OK, mm-hmm. but I couldn't fight back. I felt what the soul feels after it's left the body after a car accident. Pain, but tremendous oh. relief. Um, mm-hmm. The word leaks out within an hour. Burger is bombarded by agents for other directors. Um, mm-hmm. But he's basically saying, like, don't put any more calls through. And then at 3.30 a.m., apparently Berger was awakened by a call from one George Lucas, who is in Japan. That's it. And Lucas, it Lucas's yeah. first words were, you're making a mistake. Mm-hmm. Get it, George. Stick yeah. up for your boy. George! <laughs> George is here. And George then goes to, on his own expense, to fly over to Disney to correct this and, and tell yeah. Disney that, yep, yep. and uh, to tell Disney, you're making a huge mistake. The only person who can make this movie is Walter Murch. Nobody else can make this movie. If 
I have to be there as backup to take over, to make this movie go ahead. I will do that. And there's two reasons for it. One, Walter Murch, but two was also Gary Kurtz is another producer who was on the Star Wars films on Empire Strikes Back. He let Gary Kurtz go for the third movie and felt guilty about that. So he was also trying to secure two jobs. So he put himself on the line and he, he stayed around for at least a week helping Murch work through some of the problems because he was still an inexperienced director. Yeah. And who else would be better to talk to you about than someone who's got experience working with children, working with Muppets, (laughs) working with all these obscure things that this film needed. And he stuck around to make sure that he could get around some of these problems and get the film back on track. So George was instrumental. Spielberg also stood up for um, merch as well. Not to the same level, but kudos to them because think about it. 10, 20 years before, yeah, 10, 20 years before, these were all nobodies in in college together, you know, but everything just come together. And they're, you know, actually getting out there and protecting their friends and saying, no, come on, you guys, you've you've got this wrong, get this done. That's amazing. They, they remind me, I mean, not, I mean, they're even, they're a little incomparable in their mediums, but they remind me mm-hmm. of like where Lin-Manuel Miranda was at with mm-hmm. his gang of freestyle of Supreme dudes. Like when they yeah. were just starting out, they were all like, you know, young, scrappy poet, rappers, mm-hmm. musicians. Mm-hmm. And now young, all of them. Hungry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's right, honey. <laughs> quote Hamilton Um, but now they're all like huge like I would say moguls at this point in the business like they Mm -hmm. are very influential you're the pulse yes Mm -hmm. they're they're influential and that's kind of Mm -hmm. the gang we're looking at with like Spielberg Lucas like they're Mm -hmm. like they grew they were coming into this business together and it's beautiful to see Mm -hmm. like a brotherhood I think is what we got to see here Um, and George Lucas knowing like that's using your power correctly like to help mm-hmm. your friend out and put your name oh, on yeah. something. So that is amazing that this film essentially continued on because of George Lucas's. And I think favorite. probably to be fair to Disney, you know, some of the actors that have been at OzCon did kind of say that merch seemed depressed. So I think there was, there was probably mm-hmm. as an observer, you've seen this production getting behind, you're going to, as a manager, yeah. still have to look at that and go, is this working? Is this just costing too much? Right. Um, and and do we just shut it down? So it's not all just one-sided. Don't get me wrong. Disney could not right. have given a crap about this movie at this point in time. They just didn't get it. It was yeah. the old world, and there's an element right. of that there as well. Right. No, th- I I think what Em said what was quoted of like that tremendous mm-hmm. relief he felt too, because I'm sure he was just in mm-hmm. over his head, and like that. Oh, yeah. It does take like it does take a toll, and some people mm-hmm. don't like. He was probably so used to like his one task that he was genius mm-hmm. on and now it's like yeah. oh as a director you have to be genius at all of them mm-hmm. like even what you were saying like navigating how to connect with a young child on the set like there's all these things mm-hmm. that I don't think anything really prepares you for other than like whatever mm-hmm. your life experience was up to that point so <laughs> so so interesting I'd like the one thing I haven't heard from Merchant interviews I'd like to ask him myself because I tend to do this kind Ooh. of thing is what did you learn from this experience? So do you now, did you learn to go and ask for help? Because I think that's the biggest thing is understanding sometimes. Yeah. I've learned that ask for help when you're in that moment and you can't see out of it. Sometimes an outsider can just go and give you a spin on it that makes you think completely differently. So I would hope that that, that was maybe his big learning thing from this. Uh, ask for help when you Same. need it. Same. Oh, I love that. The Wizard of Oz is a timeless story, 
Our favorite timeless story, duh, that can be told through every artistic medium under the rainbow. And that includes rising star makeup artists, flagship and limited edition Emerald City collection that has put the wash and brush up company out of business, honey. From stunning eyeshadows, glowing highlighters, to eye-catching lip care, each product is carefully formulated and packaged to enhance and inspire creativity. All Rising Star MUA products are also vegan and cruelty-free, celebrating an inclusive and conscious community of dream chasers of all ages, backgrounds, and gender expressions. We love to see it. The Emerald City Collection is a must for any Oz bounder, cosplayer, or fan, beauty and cosmetics lover, or anyone in search of aesthetic magic they can bring to their everyday. Personally, the LTB Oh My lip gloss is a daily go-to and new favorite. Visit Rising Star MUA at risingstarmua.com, linked in our show notes, for the merry old glow-up you've been waiting for. Here's to our fierce faces looking glam down our yellow brick road. Do we want to transition and talk a little bit into this worldwide search for Miss Dorothy Gale? (laughs) Worldwide search. Mm -hmm. Apparently, huge casting notices went out, not just in America, but I believe in Canada and the UK. Am I correct in that? I believe so, yeah. Um, Worldwide. Yeah. (laughs) Just a yeah, couple uh, of countries. Two uh, thousand girls is what they yes. started off on. Gosh. Yeah. yeah, so they saw a lot of kiddos um, and then boiled it down to, I think, 12 that they brought so to. 12. Merch Mer- Mer- Mer said, yeah, they started at 100, they did 2,000, then whittled down to 100, 60, 12, and then down to oh, two. Oh, okay. There was lots of boiling mm-hmm. downs. Just like, you know, mm-hmm. a little American Idol, boil it down, boil it down. <laughs> and mm-hmm. yeah, they brought 12 to Hollywood, correct? That was like the first. Mm-hmm. That's right, yeah. Is this where we're, yeah. we assume perhaps there were some other big players in? Because we've heard the rumors of like Drew Barrymore. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Yeah, I've heard. I, I've not heard anything directly from Merch. He all he ever talks about is Feruza, but I've heard right. that yeah, there was a lot of Who people didn't in get there. It? That were, yeah, yeah, I would like to know because Drew would have been right, right off of ET. Like that would have made mm-hmm. I think sense, but Drew mm-hmm. I think would have been not right for this in the a way very that different Feruza, vibe. Yeah, like the, not for this production. Really, yeah, right. Feruza really is excellent in this. Like they really mm-hmm. did find brilliance because this was her first thing she was essentially Mm -hmm. plucked into her plucked out of nowhere like we all like you know like she didn't come out of nowhere but she was this is her Mm -hmm. first big feature film that she would end up doing which is crazy but it was between her her and another girl which i want to find the other girl i (laughs) want to know who it was Um, i want to know what her story Mm -hmm. was they flew to england and then got this role Mm -hmm. but we don't really know much beyond Mm -hmm. like who else was in consideration besides drew was it uh Alanis Morissette, I read. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Alanis Morissette. And there was one other person. Jennifer something. Lewis? Yeah, I've seen loads of rumors, but I could never really get. Juliet, not Jennifer Lewis, who I love. (laughs) Yeah. I, I guess it's one of those little things that we call mythical because it's one of those it's yeah. really hard to find out the details like on a lot of, a lot of productions, 100%. Colin, did you know that Drew Barrymore had an Oz project that just never got made? Wild. Really I kind of heard, but I haven't looked at it in any great detail. So I, I there's a lot of people out there that want to get Oz off the ground, which I'm sure we'll talk about a bit later on, maybe at the end of this, is what, what would we like Disney to do in the future? 
at the end of this pre-production bit. <laughs> yeah, I think that's really valid. Like, what would what could Disney do next? Even though mm. they haven't really proven themselves with yeah, all the great power. But whatever, whatever, we're uh, not going to get there. One thing I don't know if you were going to touch on this or not, Tara. That I was the thought was really really cute to listen to. So, Merch said in his interview that he took the two girls to England. They filmed them in costume. And um, what drove it for him was what we said earlier, which is Feruza had this extra quality of using her own imagination and brilliance to really own Dorothy and this connection that he had. But also what he asked all the girls during the production process was, did you have an imaginary friend? And he said 50% of the girls said no, and 50% of the girls oh. went yes. So that was that was 50% gone if they said no. Because he said, <laughs> I would have booked, want... I would have booked, typecast. Type yeah, Goodbye. yeah. So then he was like, because he want this is what he said. What he wanted was Dorothy needs to really believe in Oz and needs to believe in these characters and believe in Ozma that's being brought into the production that might not exist. So he felt they could only really get the acting from a young girl if they believed. And then he said, most will be like, oh yeah, I had a imaginary friend. It was called Fred. And then others were like, I have got no idea. You crazy person. What are you on about? And that that's one of his big, but I think that probably sums up then Feruza, where she must come from in the, her acting on it. Cause she is for me, Judy Garland is not going to be, is a behemoth. You know, we all love Judy, yes. but she's not necessarily bombs us. And no, something she's that, Hollywood Oz. Somehow Feruza managed to bridge <laughs> that gap between Judy and Bomb into this. Just, I think she's the best version of Dorothy we've had so far as of this Agreed. moment in time. Mm. Mm-hmm. I agree with you on that. And there is some Judaisms she has later down. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's mm-hmm. when she's with the Yellow Brick Road for the first time. She has a Judy moment mm-hmm. where I was like, she sounds just yeah. like her yeah. in that moment. So mm-hmm. it's even like, yeah. oh, there's like little trickles of like, the Judy mm-hmm. panic, like when Judy would get that, like mm-hmm. that feeling yeah. would, it comes through Feruza, which I'm like, that's her channeling. I think the slipper mm-hmm. hood above her, you know what I mean? That's, that's mm-hmm. what I yes. see. Yes. Yeah. It's like coursing through her. Was it yes. Walter who said he wanted to find someone who felt like they could be Judy Garland's cousin? I think that was how yes. he phrased it. Yeah, I did read that. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Vibe, but like mm-hmm. for a new generation. But um, there was one thing this in this article, um, more about the casting that I found kind of funny. Um, so Feruza is from Point Reyes, California, but I believe she was raised in, mm-hmm. or no, I think I think they moved to Vancouver kind of later on. I think she spent many early years in California. Um, mm-hmm. but her dad was a guitarist for an acid rock band called Kaleidoscope. This all makes sense. Her so mom cool. yeah. <laughs> was, a, was a dance teacher. Like, this all makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so pretty early on, um, Bruza was mm-hmm. like, I'm really interested in being a movie star, an actor. Which, mm-hmm. fun fact, her name means turquoise in Turkish or special one in Farsi. Oh, okay. It's, it's an unusual name. He has an Aussie name. It's an unusual name. She's yeah. exactly it feels so familiar to me, but really, when you think about it, it's really not. It's not in any way a common name in any way. Shape, I've or never form. heard it before. It took me mm-hmm. a while to like memorize it, but um. Mm-hmm. So yeah, early on, her mom signed her up with the Vancouver Talent Agency, and she very quickly landed a small role in a television special, "The Best Christmas Ever." Yes, Perusa. <laughs> and then um, after that, they heard that the people from Walt Disney were having a big cattle call um, mm-hmm. in Vancouver. And basically, Feruza was like, I really, really want to go because it's a Disney movie. I know that it's something about mm-hmm. Oz. But her main reason for wanting to go was, quote, <laughs> I just wanted to go so I could play with my friends. Every girl in Vancouver was there. <laughs> That's what well, you that want. So cool. 
I know. That's, that's what, what I want. That's what you're missing. Exactly. You just want to go I mean, your yeah, auditions. She's probably only <laughs> seven so or eight at that point. So that's, that's so, so fun. Cute. It was really that's cute. So cute. Oh my god. I love it so much. But yeah, then later on, so kind of catching up to, so they're back in London, right? There's two two gals. Yeah, kinda, like, two gals. The tests. other mystery girl. The other mystery girl. But then uh, Feruza in this article says that at one point, I guess it was Walter Murch. I could be lying about that. They come up to her <laughs> and the other girl, mystery girl, and they're like, we've decided who's going to play Dorothy. And they're like, <gasps> and they just point at Feruza. <laughs> and Feruza has this quote. I was sitting there. You know what? I couldn't feel happy mm-hmm. because I felt so bad for my friend who had been oh working as hard God. as me, but who didn't get it. Mm-hmm. That's horrible. I hope I'm like, did that mm-hmm. really happen? They just pointed at her in front of the other girl, which I guess you had to like, they're both there in London. You flew them out. It's mm-hmm. been weeks. Gosh. I wonder who this is. Like ec- that guy. so echoes the Andrew Lloyd Webber thing that you guys covered oh. when they did the over, <laughs> you know, the, and then uh, she over the rainbow away thing. On a moon. <laughs> right, and they, yeah, they, they were like, "You're gonna put you on this half moon, and you're gonna sing somewhere over the rainbow." We don't know why. We're just gonna yeah. do that, and, she's and you'll be happy your when your friend goes. Yeah, <laughs> she's, she's gonna take yeah, your it's so sad. <laughs> Well, I wonder, in my little, um, I have a souvenir program from when Return to Oz debuted at Radio City Musical. It says here, there's no other people that are mentioned in the cast in this way. Mm -hmm. Like, it only says Dorothy's doubles. And I wonder if this girl Mm -hmm. maybe became one of Dorothy's doubles. Who knows? Nicola Mm -hmm. Roche. (laughs) Why did I say it like that? Cheryl Brown. Allison Lynn. Sarah White, I wonder if mm-hmm. the girl who came mm-hmm. down to the end was any of the girls that would double her. And also Toto is played by Tansy. By Tansy. <laughs> Toto <laughs> Tansy. I just love that. Toto's Tansy. so good, which we'll get into in a second. But yeah, yeah. Yes, Tansy. Tansy, but wow, that's wild that they put mm-hmm. her through that. Well, for Isn't Rizzo, that insane? The wild. Mm-hmm. Like, that's her first also experience. But I think Feruza does have, like, a grounding to her, which is so wild that she was, like, not thrown by any of that either. Like, whoa. Mm-hmm. Whoa. She's and like a nine-year-old powerhouse. Yeah. Yes. Powerhouse. Like, just a really grounded mm-hmm. actress. And if you are, like, who is Feruza, listeners, if you're listening along, you may have seen her in, um, in is it Practical Magic she's in? Or The Craft? Craft. The Craft. Yeah, right. The Craft. The Worst Witch as well in the 80s. Right. You may have seen her in The Craft or, like me, in Adam Sandler's The Water Boy. <laughs> oh, The Water Boy. I forgot. That's where I recognized her. And I used to be like, that's I've never Dorothy. seen it. I used oh. to always be like, there's Dorothy. There she See, is. I was too busy watching The Water Boy instead of Return to Oz. She's funny up. in it. <laughs> she's definitely. She's amazing she in really The Craft. Funny. In The Craft, she's, she's a, a villain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's, oh, yeah. she's, like such a, she's a witch spirit. She is such yeah. a witch spirit. There's this one other mm-hmm. quote that her mom says in this article. <laughs> Catherine, ba- Catherine Balk. She says yes. that when Feruza was five, she recalls asking her, what do you believe in? I don't know like the context mm-hmm. of why she asked her that. But Feruza's reply was, quote, I believe in danger and I believe in magic. <laughs> And her mom says it was such a strange thing for a child to say. <laughs> <laughs> but it feels it feels right. Yes, like, she's so that. witchy. I think she's channeling something. I just think in some some crazy home she might have you know, been like had a an exorcist out to her or something like that for saying that she believes in witching and magic and all that kind of stuff. 
I'm glad she was like saying this in safe environments and like people like (laughs) let her like roll with it. I mean, her talking about Return to Oz now when she reflects back is that like the movie really does remind you that like believing in magic is like sustenance to get through Mm -hmm. hard times, which I think is so beautiful. And how she words it is really lovely. Like all of her interviews to listen to Mm -hmm. are amazing. All right. Well, why don't we keep going on forward? As we all know, this film is based heavily upon elements of the Marvel Sand of Oz and mostly plot from Ozma of Oz from Bomb's books with little hints of TikTok of Oz and other books, especially in the Grand Coronation. Yeah, Yeah, the Grand Coronation Mm -hmm. at the end of Princess Ozma. All of that is comes on in at the Mm -hmm. end. So pretty much like every book is represented in this movie. Mm -hmm. I think we can safely say Mm -hmm. that. We'll be on the lookout when we get to that final scene where i get confused i don't know if either of you know this initially disney Mm -hmm. did not have the rights to marvelous land but did would eventually acquire them Mm -hmm. i'm not sure how that one happened so they never acquired them walt initially secured 11 books not include not including land of oz and dorothy in in the wizard of oz eventually got dorothy yeah then got dorothy for the same price that he paid for all the 11 books which he had (sighs) off Maud Baum's estate after she died because she refused to let him do the right. book. So he, he waited for her to be cold for like all of 10 seconds, was like, I'm going to get those books now. Um, and then Land of Oz fell out of copyright, I think, in the That's 70s, right. 60s or 70s, is why you got Journey back to Oz. Um, so, so they didn't need the rights for land. It was Ozma they held the rights of until 85. Ah, and then obviously okay. they had the rights to the other books, yeah. Thank you for explaining Mm -hmm. that. That is really important. And then Mm -hmm. we have also the one pretty much taken thing from MGM Mm -hmm. is the Ruby Slippers, which they would pay a hefty price to say. Uh A million million at the time. Mm -hmm. Oof. Okay. A million at the time just to have Ruby Mm -hmm. Slippers. I have not deep dived yet on the Ruby Slippers, but like, are they Mm -hmm. still around? The Return to Oz Ruby Slippers? I think that they are still around somewhere. I think someone's probably got them in the collection. I, oh, I, will, ask, I, I will ask at Oscom because I think I know potentially where they may be, they may be. Uh, to see if maybe I uh, can get you a lead there. Uh, uh, I will that. not be able to sleep now until I know. <laughs> I mean, when the Gnome King shows off those slippers for the first I time, know. I was like, work. <laughs> work. It, so yeah, it, it's so camp but so dark at the same time i love it i love i just love it particularly back then when you know with how we're looking at gender now is so different but back then it was a real kind of statement that was done without any kind of you know he's not ashamed that he's there in his fabulous girls ruby slippers you know he could have gone do a dancing sequence afterwards he's just like "Mm -hmm. these feminist feminist shoes are mine and they are powerful and i love that but i didn't think about it until i was older the meaning behind that nicole williamson on that point colin um says how he felt like he was in a grand like english pantomime doing this role (laughs) like he really had such a fun time playing this like he felt like he was on stage with it which i think adds like a little bit to that flair that he brings to it too mm-hmm. which is so cool i love yeah. that he's, he's also a british actor he's a british actor apparently he wasn't the most agreeable people in real life uh, but that probably adds to the sinisterness of the gnome king um <laughs> because he does give you both you feel like he's caring but that he might be unhinged at any moment which is obviously what happens and it comes across really well Far darker than anything Baum ever wrote. That take of the Gnome King. 
Amazing. Well, let's just mm. present some of our actors before we get mm-hmm. into this first scene coming your way. And we'll wrap on up on anything with pre-production, but just to presence who we've got in this cast. Like we just said, we have Nicole Williamson as Dr. Worley and the Gnome King. We have Jean Marsh, another British actor, as Nurse Wilson and Princess Mombi. She's known a lot for her work on um, Upstairs, Downstairs, and um, the big British show, the, the one that's still on. You know about Doctor Who, but she's not on Doctor, Doctor Who. Doctor Who, well. yeah. Is she Doctor on Doctor Who? Who? Yeah, oh. she was on Doctor Who as well, I believe. Oh uh, yeah, she probably Doctor Who has lots of guests, but she I don't think she would. Mm. She wouldn't have been a recurring guest. She's probably been on one yeah. one episode. Oh yeah. okay, okay, okay. Got it. Um, yeah. And then we have, of course, Fruza Bulk. We have Piper Laurie from. Uh, she's one of the. She's one of the still surviving, like golden age mm-hmm. two actors still around, mm-hmm. um, who's been in the wow. show business for forever, known mostly, mm-hmm. I think, as Carrie's mom and Carrie. Yes. Um, as Aunt M, we have Matt Clark as Uncle Henry. And then we get mm-hmm. into all of our Oz characters, which I'll leave for now since we're mm-hmm. going to hit them when we get to those scenes. Um, mm-hmm. But also important to note some other people behind the scenes. So we have that this screenplay was written by Walter Murch as well with Gil Dennis. And then mm-hmm. we have produced by Paul Maslansky, executive producer, Gary Kurtz, director of photography, David Watkin, production designer, Norman Reynolds, editor, Leslie Hodgson, which I'm wondering if Leslie is a female or a male, because that will be another mm. connection to MGM yeah. if it's a female editor. Um, yeah, and music cool. by David Shire, who Woo! I love David Shire. I love him so much. Um, he's a Broadway dude as well. He's got an amazing, fascinating career, which I'm sure we'll get into. And of course, there's lots of other elements we will get into as we go from like who is mm. in charge of the claymation to the puppetry. <laughs> there's so much <laughs> on this film. Um that is just so impressive. Like the work that Mm -hmm. was done in furthering puppetry and animatronics and just like the lifelike believability of these. It's trailblazing. It's trailblazing. Mm -hmm. And I did not know this. I read this from, I believe it's called all ears. It's a vlog Mm -hmm. that deals with Disney mostly. All ears.net. Yeah. Blog. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Deals with blog, not vlog blog that deals with Disney Um, said that, even though Return to Oz was not the box office success that everyone wanted it to be, it did give Disney a toehold on a Broadway entertainment scene, which it would expand mm-hmm. upon several years later, thanks in no small way to the renaissance of Disney's animated films. But that's mm-hmm. so interesting that this started to mm-hmm. put in their brain, whoa, we're getting to learn how we can maybe transition some of these really cool animatronic effects and puppetry skills to stage, which... Mm-hmm. I think this is also a common trend we're noticing with Disney and Oz. <laughs> like maybe the Oz project doesn't really work out, but it brings them somewhere mm-hmm. that really works out. Like Mary Poppins essentially mm-hmm. coming from the long line of like Rainbow Road's Rainbow failure Rose. to Babes in yeah. Toyland to Mary Poppins. Mm-hmm. And then having something like Beauty and the Beast being the first main scale Broadway production that would honestly changed the course of Broadway. Disney's foothold on Broadway mm-hmm. as two actors who work in this industry has could not have changed Broadway more. Mm-hmm. It com- started bringing commercial theater. Like that was the start mm-hmm. of commercial theater after like the whole, you know, UK musicals also starting to bring a whole different vibe as well. These mm-hmm. mega musicals, blockbuster musicals, Disney would change everything there too. So that's just so mm-hmm. wild. I was like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, Return to Oz started planting the seeds for Broadway work. 
I didn't know that. Yes. Yeah. And it's one of the ones that I don't think you mentioned was Brian Henson, which was Jim Henson's oh, yeah, son. This was his, oh, yes. yeah. Oh, yeah. This yeah. is Jack Pumpkinhead is his first role. Yes. He operates the puppet. 20. He does the he's voice. 20. Yeah. Yeah, he's That's 20. Wild. And he so captures the character of, of Jack in that yes. voice and everything. And But this also leads on to really the full realisation of the Muppet Creature workshop that then becomes this whole institution mm. And when you even when I rewatched it on Blu-ray, it there's very rarely any scenes where you think this doesn't hold up now, forty years on in the effects. The Gump mm-hmm. is a fantastic, it's fantastic piece. Yeah, it's so well done. And there's no CGI. This is before CGI. Right, uh, it's better I'm, than and, CGI. Mm-hmm. I think it is. And Bel- Belina is a fantastic piece Belina. of puppet- puppetry. I love Belina. I love her in Osmer of Oz. I know you guys are huge fans. Same here. And, and I love <laughs> her in this movie. She's so snarky and just like, yeah, you know, I'm just going to tell you how it is. I also love that the puppet Belina had a live chicken mm-hmm. stand in. That makes yeah, me I'm, so I'm happy. Dead. Yeah, I'm and over that. Love that. how they managed to use that and alive and for you not really to think, oh, my God, that really does not look like a real chicken. They just exquisite work on the animatronics That's there. For wild. Mm-hmm. And like this was one of the first films well, just furthering upon like the work that had been done in Dark Crystal and Empire Strikes mm-hmm. Back with all those amazing mm-hmm. fantastical creatures, like where they were really getting good at like remote control mm-hmm. operations, too, while having like actors like contort it inside of costumes i can't wait mm-hmm. to get into all of that and as we get into That's all the different fun. oz yeah. introductions of characters we'll go a little bit behind the scenes to share about how there's a couple of actors if you don't mind because i know i won't be in some of these i just wanted to just uh, make a couple of comments on so going back to um the person who plays emily piper laurie, piper laurie thank you and you were saying earlier about her being cold and she the, i don't think it's probably her it's probably the way it's been written but she 100. does come across as really cold, emotionless um, with Dorothy. And what kept coming to mind was like, this is just three generations before Dorothy's um, descendants become someone that's going to nail you to the wall with some knives because you're repressing her emotions. It almost feels like that this is just like four generations back because of her mm. way she is with Dorothy in this movie. You do not feel warm to Emma at all. In, in, right. in, the only time she shows any real emotion is when she's leaving her at the Dr. Wally's house, that's about the only bit I think where you think, wow, she's, this is someone that cares about Dorothy. Right. Aunt M did not have a change. Like mm-hmm. she, yeah. with Dorothy leaving, it's almost like hardened her more, but you're so right mm-hmm. at the time. Like we weren't yet in a children's Renaissance too, where children were seen mm-hmm. as like precious. Right. They mm-hmm. were like, mm-hmm. she was like, I got to put her to work. Like I'm falling behind mm-hmm. on chores here because she can't focus and she's exhausted. Yeah. She's not sleeping. Losing money. Well, you mentioned the name Paul Meslansky, who is a producer. Mm-hmm. I have to say, I think he's shady. I'm not a fan of him because <gasps> in these oh, articles I'm reading, he I have to say it's. <laughs> I have to say I have a hot take from Spill the tea. Spill the tea. Uh, spill the tea. He <laughs> the so it starts out team. as like I know. It starts out as like a positive thing because he's basically the person who's like Dorothy or Bruza Bulk is like the best iteration ever of mm-hmm. Dorothy, like what Bomb intended, which I totally agree with. But then he mm-hmm. goes on to pardon my language, he shits all over the whiz and Diana Ross. Like mm-hmm. he has a true no. quote where he's like Diana Ross should never have played that role. And it just made me see his 
quote in a different way. And it made me mm-hmm. frustrated and upset. So I just wanted to say, Paul Meslansky, your quote, it lives on. And I, I see you. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> your quote is haunting the your world. Your quote will like- haunt you. <laughs> And Diana but, Ross um, would yell at you, lies, yeah. lies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I because you're on Paul Mansky, and not to defend him, I don't know him, but I did meet him at OzCon. Um, oh, wow. And I will say the one positive about him, because a lot of people put it down to him being part of the problems with the production in the background of trying to get rid of Walter and things like that. He loved this movie, and to, he didn't come to OzCon because he was invited. He saw that it was on and they were doing the 30th anniversary and asked to come as a guest. That's how passionately he felt about the project. Oh, wow. Uh, that's not that's to preface what he says. It, it is shady and, like, get him on and shady. hold him to account. <laughs> get him on, hold him to account. Yeah, have an yeah, yeah sorry. I don't, I don't mean to uh, put him on blast. He's not alone. He's not alone in this. We, Yip Harburg had, a, had a go on blast as well about yeah. how bad the whiz is. And we're like... Y'all, like, I just think why? it's a little unnecessary. Yeah, it's also I think white, you could... white people talking mm-hmm. about like the first time Oz is being interpreted not right. by white people. I'm like, mm-hmm. y'all, you yeah. can be supportive it was a, with yeah. your words. Yeah, and I talked to home what you gal said in the Wiz because the Wiz is not my thing, but like you said, it's not written for me. And I'd probably like to see this the original stage version. And I think, yeah, that's the takeaway from that. It's like, no, you don't need to put your your, your hat into the ring on that. It's just not. I'm not the, the audience for it. So I don't need to have an opinion on it. But I think that's the best way to sum it up for a lot of people. And there's, there's still good elements there. I think Lorna yeah. said this in our interview with Lorna when like her, like mm-hmm. her a grandson introduces her to like new music or like her, mm-hmm. her kids at the time too. Like when her kids were like becoming teenagers and they would be like, mom, listen to this. And she'd be like, I don't get it, but I respect it. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, that that's is totally like, fine. That yeah. is like I think what we all need to do sometimes with like yes. things that mm-hmm. we just you know don't under we don't have to understand everything we're not meant to mm-hmm. yeah right and that's okay. So I also wanted to presence that um, filming uh, apparently nearby was also a vampire movie that Fruza <laughs> did not enjoy because like I don't know if this was during the testing or the actual filming I'm I'm mixing it up but she like did not Which enjoy one? that. I thought she would. You know, that's a great question. I know. I would think that she would like vampires walking around. Maybe they disturbed her imaginary friends that she was trying to maintain her relationship with. Well, she was – that's very true. She also, like, really loved working with the chickens. So, like, Mm -hmm. apparently for – in addition to, as we mentioned with Belina, there were 40 40 real chickens available that were, like – tagged for like this chicken mm-hmm. perches this chicken sits this one runs mm-hmm. and she was like really really into them which is super sweet um tara you yeah tara you mentioned the dogs uh the dog of toto was played tansy. by dear tansy who is a brown-eyed mm-hmm. border terrier family pet not coming from an acting line oh, um, he sells it we'll talk about oh he's brilliant he yeah. sells it brilliant absolutely well brilliant. he beat out apparently walter merch had seen around 50 dogs before casting tansy mm-hmm. so get it tansy tansy was um, inexperienced but slayed. <laughs> just like Faruza, honestly Faruza yeah. did not really come yeah. into the game with the past like if drew barrymore or like you know like all these other juliet juliet lewis like if these other juliet actors yeah, which yeah. I think is something we've we've lost that now it's all about who's this known actor on almost every movie going. It's like make oh, sure you discover these absolute diamonds that. out there. 
Yeah. Colin, I mean, so this true. is the whole this is the whole controversy right now with um the funny girl <laughs> revival in the States right now on Broadway. Um <laughs> they basically right now we're witnessing the lead leave in a very like cringy almost like publicly on it's like a cringy Mm -hmm. publicly unfolding way of like we don't really know what happened i mean i saw the production the production was not good and i'm just gonna say it i'll say Mm -hmm. it on this pod it was not good it was just after waiting so many years for something that is beloved in the broadway community like Mm -hmm. funny girl it just missed the mark completely and like that it doesn't just go though on the leading lady that goes on everyone mm-hmm. around the leading lady as well who helped bring this up but it did go on her too she just the skill set was not there for me mm-hmm. on this um i do like her in other works beanie feldstein but this was not it and then now mm-hmm. like everyone who like saw beanie's standby go on was like please give it to her if we're going to move forward like she gets this role and like this show can mount her career and bring her into leads on broadway more frequently please can we return to that like mom and pop broadway please no leah michelle is coming in so here we go with that and it's like you know it's this is like i think this it's right like we don't really live in this world anymore where it's or it's like it happens for kids but not much past that you know, it has to, yeah. I mean, kids don't have a lot before them. You don't really see someone in like maybe a little bit later on in their career, like later twenties, earlier thirties, later thirties, mm-hmm. forties, getting their big first thing. That's like on a, maybe a bigger platform to see, you know, you don't really see that happen mm-hmm. so much. So it's just disappointing again, like that, that is kind of mm-hmm. the yeah, way the totally industry works, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but bless that, like they took a chance on Fruza who did not have a fa- like any fan base coming in to this and they could have had that with drew Mm -hmm. if that was really what was in consideration oh i'm dying to know (laughs) i know we could ask drew we'll go on our show (laughs) (laughs) drew barrymore's show is so great and she was so cute when she dressed up as glinda for halloween last year i know that was cute i love love drew barrymore i mean 50 first dates is my all-time favorite oh same i love her she's so good along with the other one what is it where she's josie grossy um oh never been kissed wedding singer oh oh never been kissed we've all in our times been that girl for even for a brief moment whether it be at school or whatever it's a brilliant film I know I love her <laughs> well I just wanted to end with saying um the exact date apparently that principal photography began was February 20th 1984 and it would go <gasps> on till October obviously budget I think it started out with like 20 million and then it ended up being like 28 million dollars <laughs> Uh, yeah, they moved to what you said, Elstree Studios. The Kansas scenes were filmed at Salisbury Plain. Um, yeah, on, on the on an old farm. Yeah. Okay, cool. Apparently, it was like really cold there, which I'm sure we'll get into. But February. Yeah. Yeah. So February. Also, the forest that's used um, and the names gone out of my head is been used in Star Wars as well. I have walked around that forest oh, with my husband. Cool. We try looking for little bits of yellow bricks, but unfortunately, oh, it. <laughs> oh that's so Dang cool. It, Whip, Whippendale Woods. Whippendale also, Woods. Mm-hmm. I love There's that. also like dodgy guys hang around there, so I'm not sure what else goes on. Oh, but, um, you know. yeah. <laughs> okay, don't don't go there. No, thank wheelers, you. wheelers are about. Um, <laughs> just to say this, because M, you presence the dates. I think MGM filmed October to february ish time march maybe wrapping interesting 
Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Like MGM filmed in the other time frame as Return to Us. That's just interesting for the unofficial sequel. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Colin, wrap up our pre-production before we move into our first scene. I can't wait. Yes. So I, I the question I want to ask you both is now that you've read the 14 Wizard of Oz books, looking at Return to Oz from this point of view, which is when was this? So if the Oz books are real, and then Return to Oz has been made as almost a sequel to the Oz books. Where does this fit? Because there is an element, as you said earlier, of Marvelous and Ozma Emerald City. So thinking about, you know, particularly the throne room sequence where Dorothy is asked to be queen, Ozma is encaptured in a mirror. I, where would you say this really fits? If you think about it like that, it doesn't fit as the sequel to The Wonderful Wizard of Oz. It might be much later. So I wondered what you guys Ooh. thought about this. Well... She doesn't recognize Ozma. That's the mm-hmm. only thing that like makes me be like, it has to be her first go back. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wonder how much time has actually passed. And there is a deleted scene, which we'll get into with the beginning, the opening scene that gives us like a little news clipping of Dorothy, like her being discovered, like them finding her like little girl is rescued type of a news headline. And I wonder how long it's been that she has been having these sleepless nights um, Mm -hmm. going on about Oz. But the only thing like, I think I'm just, I stopped to go further because of like, she does not know who Ozma is. And also in this Mm -hmm. film, it does feel like Ozma is her like at the beginning, like it's like Mm -hmm. almost like a projection Mm -hmm. of like, who she wants to be to get her to get out of this like entrapment she's in by these adults who don't believe her, who are gaslighting her. <laughs> so it's also bizarre, but I, yeah, I, it doesn't feel like it's like the next day. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. like professor Marvel has pieced out. He's out of town. Like <laughs> it doesn't feel that way. It feels like at least a couple months have gone by because uncle Henry will learn had an injury and it heals. <laughs> and what do you think? Cause I'm not sure. No, this is tricky. I mean, I think I had read that the script is supposed, this movie is supposed to take place six months after six the original months. tornado. Yeah. Um, I might have to get back to you after our journey through this, Colin, because I don't know if I've decided yet. I feel like I agree mm-hmm. with what Tara's saying. Like, yeah, it definitely feels like it's pre meeting Ozma times, but it also feels like there's mm-hmm. so many different things happening that kind of what you were saying in the beginning, Colin, of like, there are different multiverses of Oz where this feels sort of like its own conglomeration of the first mm-hmm. like four or five books maybe but Uncle no, Henry first, like, yeah. three? Uncle mm-hmm. Henry definitely needs that trip to Australia though like he needs um, that yeah. trip to Australia Absolutely. he needs True. it like we gotta get him I don't, out yeah. of here <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm somewhere between like I don't see it as a sequel I see it but I don't mm-hmm. see it as like too far away it's kind of like in that gray area yeah, what do you, I, I get what do you think, Colin? So, there was two. Well, something came to my head when you mentioned as well, Tara. That I'll I'll put on quick now, which is in the earlier scripts, Dorothy and Ozma were meant to be the same person on two sides of the same coin. Like Ozma was Dorothy and Oz, and that, apparently that was taken out. So I think that's why you get that um, feeling. But I think it obviously probably didn't really come through on film, and they they ended up editing a lot of that out. I, it feels to me like this is apart from Dorothy not remembering Ozma, that this must be set after 
the Emerald City of Oz, but based upon the Emerald City of Oz has been conquered. So Ozma has potentially maybe mm. been queen. Tip could have been an actual thing still that Mombi, you know, Ooh, that still okay. happened because the Emerald City has been conquered. There's a tunnel under Oz going all the way to the Known King's Mountain. Um, and you, it's also the way you could explain all those characters in the throne room coming up from the later Oz book. So it's like, oh, actually, Dorothy had forgotten, apart from Belina. Uh, this could be set after Emerald City, but where, based upon an Aussieverse rather than a multiverse right. of, of where mm-hmm. the Gnome King did conquer Oz and Mom, and, and enlisted Mombi in some way to take over Oz. It's just something that occurred to me recently. I was like, oh, that's a really Mom weird way dear. of thinking about it. But yeah. Oh, I love um, it. Well, it's like I love that the Oz timeline has continued on, but she just didn't. Dorothy mm-hmm. didn't get brought back. Like, but all mm-hmm. the things that mm, happened yeah. still happened. Maybe in like some mm-hmm. of those books, I'm um, like Ozma's yeah. back in power. Um, so yeah, maybe we missed that. But it yeah. feels like one thing. I it does. I mean, I haven't seen the last scene in a second. But the last scene restores Ozma after being like trapped for quite some time because the Scarecrow is yeah. still the ruler. That's like what we're supposed to. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting yeah. though. I like I like this question, and yeah, I love we that. will keep we will keep our like that question playing in our brain as we continue forward. All right, friends, let us meet again in our first scene breakdown. See you soon. Thank you so much for listening to Down the Yellow Brick Pod. If you are feeling fresh with your fingertips, scroll on over to Apple Podcasts and now Spotify woot woot to leave us a glowing rate and review. It's a big help. Each person who leaves us an Apple review will be entered to win our end of the season Oz giveaway, including a gift basket of Aussie book goodies that trust me, you aren't going to want to miss. All previous reviews will also be considered in our entries. We see you. Further fun and ways to support us can be found at our Etsy swag shop from Good Witch Trouble merch to our new Fab Four of Oz icon collection with a big shout out to our graphic designer, Maddie Frank. Find us also on Patreon and Instagram via Down the Yellow Brick Pod, as well as on Venmo at Down the YBP. We always appreciate a tip tip here. Let's escape to Oz soon, okay? Okay, Auntie Anne.